Everyone loves to listen to a good book, and there are so many wonderful ones to choose, so we decided to bring you this podcast of Stories Come to Life. Each episode features a story from either classic or modern literature, especially chosen to be interesting and exciting to hear. So sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Welcome to Stories Come to Life. I am your host, Catherine Lopez-Luger. When I was a little girl, my dad built a playhouse under a big blue spruce tree for my sisters and me. I spent hours and hours playing in it. I swept the floor and decorated it with pictures I drew and flowers I picked from the alley. What wonderful memories I have of that little playhouse. In this book, four girls set their hearts on using an old, vacant, and very run-down cottage as their special place to play. They certainly have to work hard to make it theirs. Here is the first part of Betty, Mabel, Jean, and Marjorie's delightful adventure in Dandelion Cottage. Now sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Dandelion Cottage by Carol Watson Rankin Chapter 1 Mr. Black's Terms The little square cottage was unoccupied. It had stood for many years on the parish property, having indeed been built long before the parish bought the land for church purposes. It was easy to see how Dandelion Cottage came by its name at first, for growing all about it were great fluffy golden dandelions. But afterwards, there was another good reason why the name was appropriate, as you will discover shortly. The cottage stood almost directly behind the big stone church in Lakeville, a thriving northern Michigan town, and did not show very plainly from the street, because it was so small by contrast with everything else near it. This was fortunate because, after the Tuckers had moved into the big new rectory, the smaller house looked decidedly forlorn and deserted. We'll leave it just where it stands, the church wardens had said many years previously. It's precisely the right size for Dr. and Mrs. Gunn, for they would rather have a small house than a large one. When they leave us and we are selecting another clergyman, we'll try to get one with a small family. This plan worked beautifully for a number of years. It succeeded so well, in fact, that the vestry finally forgot to be cautious, and when at last it secured the services of Dr. Tucker, the church had grown so used to clergymen with small families that the vestryman engaged the new minister without remembering to ask if his family would fit into Dandelion Cottage. But when Dr. Tucker and Mrs. Tucker and eight little Tuckers, some on foot and some in baby carriages, arrived, the vestrymen regretted this oversight. They could see at a glance that the tiny cottage could never hold them all. We'll just have to build a rectory on the other lot, said Mr. Black, the senior warden. That's just about all there is to it. The cottage is all out of repair anyway. It wasn't well built in the first place, and the last three clergymen have complained bitterly of the inconvenience of having to hold up umbrellas in the different rooms every time it rained. 
Their wives objected to the wallpaper and to being obliged to keep the potatoes in the bedroom closet. It's really time we had a new rectory. It certainly is, returned the junior warden, and we'll all have to take turns entertaining all the little tuckers that there isn't room for in the cottage while the new house is getting built. Seven of the eight little tuckers were boys. If it hadn't been for Betty, they would have all been boys. But Betty saved the day. She was a slender twelve-year-old little Betty, with big brown eyes, a mop of short brown curls, and such odd clothes. Busy Mrs. Tucker was so in the habit of making boys' garments that she could not help giving a boyish cut even to Betty's dresses. There were always sailor collars to the waists, and the skirts were invariably kilted. Besides this, the little girl wore boys' shoes. You see, explained Betty, who was a cheerful little body, Tommy has to take them next. And of course it wouldn't pay to buy shoes for just one girl. The little Tuckers were not the only children in the neighborhood. Betty found a bosom friend in Dr. Bennett's Mabel, who lived next door to the rectory, another in Jeanie Mapes, who lived across the street, and still another in Marjorie Vale, whose home was next door to Dandelion Cottage. Jean, as her little friends best liked to call her, was a sweet-faced, gentle-voiced girl of fourteen. Mothers of other small girls were always glad to see their own more scatterbrained daughters tucked under Jean's loving wing. For thoroughly nice Jean, without being in the least bit priggish, was considered a safe and desirable companion. It doesn't always follow that children like the persons it is considered best for them to like, but in Jean's case, both parents and daughters agreed that Jean was not only safe but delightful, the charming daughter of a charming mother. Marjorie, a year younger and nearly a head shorter than Jean, often seemed older. Outwardly, she was a sedate, small person, slight, blue-eyed, graceful, and very fair. Her manners at times were very pleasing, her self-possession almost remarkable. This was the result of careful training by a conscientious, but at that time sadly unappreciated, maiden aunt, who was Marjorie's sole guardian. There were moments, however, when Marjorie, who was less sedate than she appeared, forgot to be polite. At such times, her ways were apt to be less pleasing than those of either Betty or Jean, because her wit was nimbler, her tongue sharper, and her heart a trifle less tender. Her mother had died when Marjorie was only a few weeks old. Her father had lived only two years longer, and the rather solitary little girl had missed much of the warm family affection that had fallen to the lot of her three more fortunate friends. Those who knew her well found much in her to like, but among her schoolmates there were girls who said that Marjorie was mm, stuck up, affected, and too smart. Mabel, the fourth in this little quartet of friends, was eleven, large for her age and young for her years, always an unfortunate combination of circumstances. She was intensely human, and therefore liable to err. And it may be said, she very seldom missed an opportunity. In school, she read with a tremendous amount of expression, but mispronounced half the words. 
When questions were asked, she waved her hand triumphantly aloft and gave anything but the right answer. She had a surprising stock of energy, but most of it was misdirected. Warm-hearted, generous, heedless, hot-tempered, and always blundering, she was something of a trial at home and abroad, yet no one could help loving her, for everybody realized that she would grow up someday into a really fine woman, and that all that was needed in the meantime was considerable patience. Rearing Mabel was not unlike the task of bringing up a St. Bernard puppy. Mrs. Bennet was decidedly glad to note the growing friendship among the four girls, for she hoped that Mabel would in time grow dignified and sweet like Jean, thoughtful and tender like Betty, graceful and prettily mannered like Marjorie. But <laughs> this happy result had yet to be achieved. The little one-story cottage, too much out of repair to be rented, stood empty and neglected. To most persons it was an unattractive spot, if not actually an eyesore. The steps sagged in a dispirited way. Some of the windows were broken, and the fence, in sympathy perhaps with the house, had shed its pickets and leaned inward with a discouraged, hopeless air. But Betty looked at the little cottage longingly. She could gaze right down upon it from the back bedroom window a great many times a day. It didn't seem a bit too big for a playhouse. Indeed, it seemed a great pity that such a delightful little building should go unoccupied, when Betty and her homeless dolls were simply suffering for just such a shelter. Wouldn't it be nice, said Betty one day in early spring, if we four girls could have Dandelion Cottage for our very own? Wouldn't it be sweet, mimicked Marjorie, if we could have the moon and about twenty stars to play jacks with. The cottage isn't quite so far away, said Jean. It would be just lovely to have it, for we never have a place to play in comfortably. We're generally disturbing grown-ups, I notice, said Marjorie, comically imitating her Auntie Jane's severest manner. A little less noise, if you please. Is it really necessary to laugh so much and so often? Even Mother gets tired of us sometimes, confided Jean. There are days when no one seems to want all of us at once. I know it, said Betty pathetically, but it's worse for me than it is for the rest of you. You have your rooms and nobody to meddle with your things. I no sooner get my dolls nicely settled in one corner than I have to move them into another, because the babies poke their eyes out. It's dreadful, too, to have to live with so many boys. I fixed up the cunningest playhouse under the clothes reel last week, but the very minute it was finished, Rob came home with a horrid porcupine, and I had to move out in a hurry. Perhaps, suggested Marjorie, we could rent the cottage. Who'd pay the rent? demanded Mabel. My allowance is five cents a week and I have to pay a fine of one cent every time I'm late to meals. How much do you have left? asked Jeanie, laughing. Not a cent. I was seven cents in debt at the end of last week. I get two cents a hundred for digging dandelions, said Marjorie, but it takes just forever to dig them, and ugh, I just hate it. 
I never have any money at all, sighed Betty. You see, there are so many of us. Let's go peek in at the windows, suggested Mabel, springing up from the grass. That won't cost us anything at any rate. Away scampered the four girls, taking a shortcut through Betty's backyard. The cottage had been vacant for more than a year and had not improved in appearance. Rampant vines clambered over the windows, and nowhere else in town were there such luxurious weeds as grew in the cottage yard. Nowhere else were there such mammoth dandelions or such prickly burrs. The girls waded fearlessly through them, parted the vines, and pressed their noses against the glass, peering into the cottage parlor. What a nice square little room, said Marjorie. I don't think the paper is very pretty, said Mabel. We could cover most of the spots with pictures, suggested practical Marjorie. It, it looks sort of spidery to me, said Mabel, who was always somewhat pessimistic. Probably there's rats, too. I know how to stop up rat holes, said Betty, who had not lived with seven brothers without acquiring a number of useful accomplishments. I'm not afraid of spiders, that is, not so very much. What are you doing here? demanded a gruff voice so suddenly that everybody jumped. The girls wheeled about, and there stood Betty's most devoted friend, the senior warden. Oh, cried Betty, it's only Mr. Black. Were you looking for something? asked Mr. Black. Yes, said Betty, we're looking for a house. We'd like to rent this one, only we haven't a scrap of money. And what in the name of common sense would you do with it? We want it for our dolls, said Betty, turning a pair of big, pleading brown eyes upon Mr. Black. You see, we haven't any place to play. Marjorie's Auntie Jane won't let her cut papers in the house, so she can't have any paper dolls. And I can't play any place because I have so many brothers. They put them all in jail whenever they play cops and robbers, shoot them with beans when they play soldiers, and drown them all when they play pirate. Don't you think we might be allowed to use the cottage if we promised to be very careful and not do any damage? We'd clean it up, offered Marjorie as an inducement. We'd mend the rat holes, offered Jean, looking hopefully at Betty. Would you dig the weeds? demanded Mr. Black. There was a deep silence. The girls looked at the sea of dandelions, and then at one another. Yes, said Marjorie, finally breaking the silence. We'd even dig the weeds. Yes, echoed the others. We'd even dig the weeds, and there's just millions of them. Good, said Mr. Black. Now we'll all sit down on the steps and I'll tell you what we'll do. It happens that the Village Improvement Society has just notified the vestry that the weeds on this lot must be removed before they go to seed. The neighbors have complained about them. It would cost the parish several dollars to hire a man to do the work, and we're short of funds just now. Now, if you four girls will pull up every weed in this place before the end of next week, you shall have the use of the cottage for all the rest of the summer in return for your services. How does that strike you? Oh, cried Betty, throwing her arms about Mr. Black's neck. Do let me hug you. Oh, I'm glad. 
glad. There, there, cried stout Mr. Black, shaking Betty off and dropping her where the dandelions grew the thickest. I didn't say I was to be strangled as part of the bargain. You'd better save your muscle for the dandelions. Remember, you've got to pay your rent in advance. I shan't hand over the key until the last weed is dug. We'll begin this minute, cried enthusiastic Mabel. I'm going straight home for a knife. Chapter 2 Paying the Rent This is a whopping big yard, said Mabel, looking disconsolately at two dandelions in the bottom of a bushel basket. There doesn't seem to be any place to begin. I'm going to weed out a place big enough to sit in, announced Betty. Then I'll make it bigger and bigger all around me in every direction until it joins the clearing next to mine. I'm a soldier, said Marjorie, brandishing a trowel, vanquishing my enemies. You know in books, the hero always battles single-handed with about a million foes and always kills them all and everybody lives happily ever after. Zip! There goes one. I'm a pioneer, said Jean, slashing away at a huge tough burdock. I'm chopping down the forest primeval to make a potato patch. The dandelions are skulking wild animals, and I'm capturing them all. I'm just digging weeds, said prosaic Mabel, and I don't like it. Neither does anybody else, said Marjorie, but I guess having the cottage will be worth it. Just pretend it's something else, and then you won't mind it so much. Play your digging for diamonds. I can't, returned Mabel hopelessly. I haven't any imagination. This is just plain dirt, and I can't make myself believe it's anything else. By supper time, the cottage yard presented a decidedly disreputable appearance. Before the weeds had been disturbed, they stood upright, presenting an even surface of green with a light crest of dandelion gold. But now it was different. Although the number of weeds was not greatly decreased, the yard looked as if, indeed, a battle had been fought there. Mr. Black, passing by it on his way to town, began to wonder if he had been quite wise in turning it over to the girls. At four o'clock the following morning, sleepy Betty tumbled out of bed and into her clothes. Then she slipped quietly downstairs, out of doors, through the convenient hole in the back fence, and into the cottage yard. She had been digging for more than an hour when Jean, rubbing a pair of sleepy eyes, put in her appearance. Oh, cried Jean disappointedly, I meant to have a huge bare field to show you when you came, and here you are ahead of me. What a lot you've done! Yes, assented Betty happily. There's room for me and my basket, too, in my patch. I'll have to go home after a while to help dress the children. Young though she was, she was only twelve, Betty was a most helpful young person. It is hard to imagine what Mrs. Tucker would have done without her cheerful little daughter. Betty always spoke of the boys as the children, and she helped her mother darn their stockings, sew on their buttons, and sort out their collars. The care of the family baby, too, fell to her lot. The boys were good boys, but they were boys. They were willing to do errands, or pile wood, 
or carry out ashes, but none of them ever thought of doing one of these things without first being told. Sometimes they had to be told a great many times. It was different with Betty. If Tom ate crackers on the front porch, it was Betty who ran for the broom to brush up the crumbs. If William needed his face washed, and it seemed to Betty that there was never a time when he didn't need it washed, it was Betty who attended to it. If the cat looked hungry, it was Betty who gave her a saucer of milk. Ben's rabbits and Rob's porcupine would have starved if Betty had not fed them, and Donald's dog knew that if no one else remembered his bone, kind Betty would bear it in mind. The boy's legs were round and sturdy, but Betty's were very much like pipe stems. I don't have time to get fat, Betty would say, but you don't need to worry about me. I think I'm the healthiest person in the house. At least, I'm the only one that hasn't had to have breakfast in bed this week. Neither Marjorie nor Mabel appeared during the morning to dig their share of the weeds. But when school was out that afternoon, they were all on hand with their baskets. I had to stay, said Mabel, who was the last to arrive. I missed two words in spelling. What were they? asked Marjorie. Parachute and dandelion. I hate dandelions anyway. I don't know what parachutes are, but if they're any sort of weeds, I hate them too. The girls laughed. Mabel always looked on the gloomiest side of things and always grumbled. She seemed to thrive on it, however, for she was built very much like a barrel, and her cheeks were like a pair of round red apples. She was always honest, if a little too frank in expressing her opinions, and the girls liked her in spite of her blunt ways. She was the youngest of the quartet, being only eleven. There doesn't seem to be much grass left after the weeds are out, said Betty, surveying the bare sandy patch she had made. This has always been a weedy old place, replied Jean. I think the whole neighborhood will feel obliged to us if we ever get the lot cleared. Perhaps our landlord will plant grass seed. It would be fine to have a lawn. Perhaps, said Marjorie. He'll let us have some flower beds. Wouldn't it be lovely to have nasturtiums running right up the sides of the house? They'd be lovely among the vines, agreed Betty. I have some poppy seeds that we might plant in a long, narrow bed by the fence. There are hundreds of little pansy plants coming up all over our yard, said Jean. We might make a little round bed of them right where I'm sitting. What are you going to plant in your bed, Mabel? Butter beans, said that practical young person promptly. Well, said Betty with a long sigh, we'll have to work faster than this or summer will be over before we have a chance to plant anything. This is the biggest little yard I ever did see. For a time there was silence. Marjorie the soldier fell upon her foes with renewed vigor, and soon had an entire regiment, endurance vile. Jean, the pioneer, fell upon the forest with so much energy that its speedy extermination was threatened. Mabel seized upon the biggest and toughest burdock she could, and pulled with both hands and all her might until, with a sharp crack, the root suddenly parted, and Mabel, very much to her own surprise, turned a back somersault 
and landed in Betty's basket. Hi there, cried a voice from the road. How are you youngsters getting along? The girls jumped to their feet, all but Mabel, who was still wedged tightly in Betty's basket. And there was Mr. Black, with his elbows on the fence. And with him was the president of the Village Improvement Society. Both were smiling broadly. Sick of your bargain? asked Mr. Black. The four girls shook their heads emphatically. Hard work. Four heads bobbed up and down. Well, said Mr. Black encouragingly, you've made considerable headway today. Where are you putting the weeds? asked the president of the Village Improvement Society. On the back porch in a piano box, said Betty. We had a big pile of them last night, but they shrank like everything before morning. If they do that every time, it won't be necessary for Mabel to jump on them to press them down. Let me know when you have a wagon load, said Mr. Black. I'll have them hauled away for you. For the rest of the week, the girls worked early and late. They began almost at daylight, and the mosquitoes found them still digging at dusk. By Thursday night, only scattered patches of weeds remained. The little diggers could hardly tear themselves away when they could no longer find the weeds because of the gathering darkness. Now that the task was so nearly completed, it seemed such a waste of time to eat and sleep. Betty was up earlier than ever the next morning, and with one of the boys' spades, had loosened the soil around some of the very worst patches before any of the other girls appeared. By five o'clock that night, the last weed was dug. Conscientious Betty went around the yard a dozen times, but however hard she might search, not a single remaining weed could she discover. Good work, said Jean, balancing her empty basket on her head. It seems too good to be true, said Betty, but think of it, girls. The rent is paid. It's almost time for Mr. Black to go by. Let's watch for him from the doorstep, our own precious doorstep. It needs scrubbing, said Mabel. Besides, it isn't ours yet. Perhaps Mr. Black has changed his mind. Some grown-up folks have awfully changeable minds. <gasps> oh, gasped Marjorie. Wouldn't it be perfectly dreadful if he had? It seemed to the little girls, torn between doubt and expectation, that Mr. Black was strangely indifferent to the calls of hunger that night. Was he never going home to dinner? Was he never coming? Perhaps, suggested Jean, he has gone out of town. Or forgotten us, said Marjorie. Or died, said Mabel dolefully. Oh, no, no, cried Betty. There he is, coming around the corner now. I can see him. Let's run to meet him. The girls scampered down the street. Betty seized one hand, Mabel the other. Marjorie and Jean danced along ahead of him, and everybody talked at once. Thus escorted, Mr. Black approached the cottage lot. Well, I declare, said Mr. Black, you haven't left so much as a blade of grass. Do you think you could sow some grass seed if I have the ground made ready for it? The girls thought they could. Betty timidly suggested nasturtiums. Flower beds, too? Why, of course, 
said Mr. Black. Vegetables as well, if you like. You can have a regular farm and grow fairy beanstalks and Cinderella pumpkins if you want to. And now, since the rent seems to be paid, I suppose there's nothing left for me to do but hand over the key. Here it is, Mistress Betty, and I'm sure I couldn't have a nicer lot of tenants. Chapter 3 The Tenants Take Possession Our own house! Think of it! cried Betty, turning the key. Push somebody! The door sticks! There! It's open! Ugh! said Mabel, drawing back hastily. It's awfully dark and stuffy in there. I guess I won't go in just yet. It smells so dead ratty. It's been shut up so long, explained Jean. Wait, I'll pull some of the vines back from this window. There, can you see better? Lots, said Betty. This is the parlor, girls. But, oh, what raggedy paper. We'll need lots of pictures to cover all the holes and spots. We'd better clean it all first advised sensible Jean. The windows are covered with dust, and the floor is just black. This, said Marjorie, opening a door, must be the dining room. Oh, what a cunning little corner cupboard. Just the place for our dishes. You mean it would be if we had any, said Mabel. Mine are all smashed. Oh, Pooh, said Jean. We don't mean doll things. We want real grown-up ones. Why, what a cunning little bedroom. There's one off the parlor, too, said Marjorie, and it's even cunninger than this. My, what a horrid place, exclaimed Mabel, poking an inquisitive nose into another unexplored room, and as hastily withdrawing that offended feature. Mercy, I'm all over spider webs. That's the kitchen, explained Betty. Most of the plaster has fallen down, and it's rained in a good deal. But here's a good stovepipe hole, and such a cunning cupboard built into the wall. <gasps> what have you found, Jean? Just a pantry, said Jean, holding up a pair of black hands, and lots of dust. There isn't a clean spot in the house. So much the better, said Betty, whose clouds always had a silver lining. We'll just have that much more fun cleaning up. I'll tell you what let's do, and we've all day tomorrow to do it in. We'll just regularly clean house. I've always wanted to clean house. Me too, cried Mabel enthusiastically. We'll bring just oceans of water. There's water here, interrupted Jean, turning a faucet. Water and a pretty good sink. The water runs out all right. That's good, said Betty. We must each bring a broom and soap. And rags, suggested Jean. And papers for the shelves, added Marjorie. And where our oldest clothes, said Betty. Oh, ooh, ooh, squealed Mabel. What's the matter, asked the girls, rushing into the pantry. Spiders and mice, said Mabel. I just poked my head into the cupboard and a mouse jumped out. I'm all spider-webby again, too. Well, there won't be any spiders by tomorrow night, said Betty consolingly. Or any mice either if somebody will bring a cat. Now let's go home to supper. I'm as hungry as a bear. Everybody remember to wear her oldest clothes, admonished Jean, and to bring a broom. I'll tie the key to a string 
and wear it around my neck day and night, said Betty, locking the door carefully when the girls were outside. Aren't we going to have a perfectly glorious summer? When Mr. Black, on his way to the office next morning, met his four little friends, he did not recognize them. Jean, who was fourteen and tall for her age, wore one of her mother's calico wrappers tied in at the waist by the strings of the cook's biggest apron. Marjorie, in the much-shrunken gown of a previous summer, had her golden curls tucked away under the housemaid's sweeping cap. Betty appeared in her very oldest skirt, surmounted by an exceedingly ragged jacket and cap, discarded by one of her brothers, while Mabel, with her usual enthusiasm, looked like a veritable ragbag. When Betty had unlocked the door, she had slept all night with the key in her hand to make certain it would not escape. The girls filed in. "'I know how to handle a broom as well as anybody,' said Mabel, giving a mighty sweep and raising such a cloud of dust that the four house cleaners were obliged to flee out of doors to keep from strangling. Whew! said Jean, when she had stopped coughing. "'I guess we'll have to take it out with a shovel. "'The dust must be an inch thick.' "'Wait!' cried Marjorie, darting off. "'I'll go get Auntie's sprinkling can. "'Then the stuff won't fly so.' "'After that, the sweeping certainly went better. "'Then came the dusting. "'It really looks very well,' said Betty, "'surveying the result with her head on one side, "'and an air of housewifely wisdom.' that would have been more impressive if her nose hadn't been perfectly black with soot. It certainly does look better, but I'm afraid you girls have most of the dust on your faces. I don't see how you managed to do it. Just look at Mabel. Just look at yourself, retorted Mabel indignantly. You've got the dirtiest face I ever saw. Never mind, said Jean gently. I guess we're all about alike. I've wiped all the dust off the walls of the parlor, now I'm going to wash the windows and the woodwork, and after that I'm going to scrub the floor. Do you know how to scrub? asked Marjorie. No, but I guess I can learn. There! Doesn't that window pane look as if a really, truly housemaid had washed it? Oh, Mabel, do look out! cried Marjorie. But the warning came too late. Mabel stepped on the slippery bar of soap and sat down hard in a pan of water, "'splashing it in every direction. "'For a moment, Mabel looked decidedly cross, "'but when she got up and looked at the tin basin, "'she began to laugh. "'That's a funny way to empty a basin, isn't it?' she said. "'There isn't a drop of water left in it.' "'Well, don't try it again,' said Jean. "'That's Mrs. Tucker's basin, and you've smashed it flat. "'You should learn to sit down less suddenly.' "'And,' said Marjorie, to be more careful in your choice of seats. We'll have to take up a collection and buy Mrs. Tucker a new basin, or she'll be afraid to lend us anything more. The girls ran home for a hasty luncheon. Rested and refreshed, they all returned promptly to their house-cleaning. Nobody wanted to brush out the kitchen cupboard. It was not only dusty but full of spider-webs. And worst of all, the spiders themselves seemed very much at home. The girls left the back door open, hoping that the spiders would run out of their own accord. 
Apparently, however, the spiders felt no need of fresh air. Betty, without a word to anyone, ran home, returning a few minutes later with her brother Ben's old tame crow, blinking solemnly from her shoulder. She placed the great black bird on the cupboard shelf, and in a very few moments, every spider had vanished down his greedy throat. He just loves them, said Betty. How funny, said Mabel. Who ever heard of getting a crow to help clean house? I wish he could scrub floors as well as he clears out cupboards. The scrubbing indeed looked anything but an inviting task. Jean succeeded fairly well with the parlor floor, though she declared that when that was finished, her wrists were so tired that she couldn't hold the scrubbing brush another moment. Marjorie and Betty together scrubbed the floor of the tiny dining room. Mabel made a brilliant success of one of the little bedrooms, but only, the other girls said, by accidentally tipping over a pail of clean water upon it, thereby rinsing off a thick layer of soap. Then Jean, having rested for a little while, finished the remaining bedroom, and Marjorie scoured the pantry shelves. The kitchen floor was rough and very dirty. Nobody wanted the task of scrubbing it. The tired girls leaned against the wall and looked at the floor and then at one another. Ah, let's leave it till Monday, said Mabel, who looked very much as if the others had scrubbed the floor with her. I've had all the house cleaning I want for one day. Oh, no, pleaded Betty. Everything else is done. Just think how lovely it would be to go home tonight with all the disagreeable part finished. We could begin to move in on Monday, if we only had the house all clean. Couldn't we cover the dirtiest places with pieces of old carpet? demanded Mabel. Oh, what dreadful housekeeping that would be, said Marjorie. Yes, said Jean, we must have every bit of it nice. Perhaps if we sit on the doorstep and rest for a few moments, we'll feel more like scrubbing. The girls sat in a row on the edge of the low porch. They were all rather glad that the next day would be Sunday, for between the dandelions and the dust, they had had a very busy week. Why, said Betty, suddenly brightening, I believe we're going to have a visitor. Hi there, said Mr. Black, turning in at the gate. I smell soap. Housekeeping all done? All, said Betty wearily, except the kitchen floor, and oh, we're so tired. I'm afraid we'll have to leave it until Monday, but we just hate to. Too tired to eat peanuts? asked Mr. Black, handing Betty a huge paper bag. Stay right here on the doorstep, all of you, and eat every one of these nuts. I'll look around and see what you've been doing. I'm sure there can't be that much dirt left inside when there's so much on your faces. It seemed a pity that Mr. Black, who liked little girls so well, should have no children of his own. A great many years before Betty's people had moved to Lakeville, he had had one sister, and at another almost equally remote period, he had possessed one little daughter, a slender, narrow-chested little maid, with great pathetic brown eyes, so like Betty's that Mr. Black was startled when Mr. Tucker's little girl had first smiled at him from the Tucker doorway for the senior warden's little girl had lived to be only six years old. 
This, of course, was the secret of Mr. Black's affection for Betty. Mr. Black, who was a moderately stout, gray-haired man of fifty-five, with kind dark eyes and a strong, rugged, smooth-shaven countenance, had a great deal of money. A beautiful home perched on the brow of a green hill overlooking the lake, and a silk hat. This last made a great impression on the children, for silk hats were seldom worn in Lakeville. Mr. Black looked very nice indeed in his when he wore it to church on Sunday morning. But Betty felt more at home with him when he sat bareheaded on the rectory porch, with his short, crisp, thick gray hair tossed by the south wind. Besides these possessions, Mr. Black owned a garden on the sheltered hillside, where wonderful roses grew as they would grow nowhere else in Lakeville. This was fortunate because Mr. Black loved roses, and spent much time poking about among them with a trowel and pruning shears. Then there were shelves upon shelves of books in the big dingy library, which was the one room that the owner of the large house really lived in. A public-spirited man, Mr. Black had a wide circle of acquaintances and a few warm friends. But with all his possessions, and in spite of a jovial, cheerful manner in company, his dark, rather stern face, as Betty had very quickly discovered, was sad when he sat alone in his pew at church. He had really nothing in the world to love but his books and his roses. It was evident to anyone who had time to think about it that kind Mr. Black, whose wife had died so many years before that only the oldest townspeople could remember that he had had a wife, was, in spite of his comfortable circumstances, a very lonely man, and that as he grew older, he felt his loneliness more keenly. There were others besides Betty who realized this, but it was not an easy manner to offer sympathy to Mr. Black. There was a dignity about him that repelled anything that looked like pity. Betty was the one person who succeeded, without giving offense, in doing this difficult thing. But Betty did it unconsciously, without in the least knowing that she had accomplished it. And this, of course, was another reason for the strong friendship between her and Mr. Black. The girls found the peanuts decidedly refreshing. Their unusual exercise had given them astonishing appetites. I wonder, said Betty some ten minutes later, when the bag was almost empty, what Mr. Black is doing in there. I think from the swishing, swishing sounds I hear, said Jean, that Mr. Black must be scrubbing the kitchen. What? gasped the girls. Come and see, said Jean, stealing in on tiptoe. There, sure enough, was stout Mr. Black, dipping a broom every now and then into a pail of soapy water and vigorously sweeping the floor with it. I think, whispered Mabel ruefully, that that's Mother's best broom. Never mind, consoled Jean. You can take mine home if you think she'll care. It's really mine because I bought it. When we had that broom drill in the sixth grade, it's been hanging on my wall ever since. Hi there, exclaimed Mr. Black, who, suddenly looking up, had discovered the smiling girls in the doorway. You didn't know I could scrub, did you? Mr. Black, 
quite regardless of his spotless cuffs and his polished shoes, drew a bucket of fresh water and dashed it over the floor, sweeping the flood out of the doors and down the back steps. There, said Mr. Black, standing the broom in the corner. If there's a cleaner house in town than this, I don't know where you'll find it. In return for scrubbing this kitchen, of course, I shall expect you to invite me to dinner when you get to housekeeping. We will, we will, shouted the girls, and we'll cook every single thing ourselves. I don't know that I'll insist on that, returned Mr. Black teasingly, but I shan't let you forget about the dinner. This is your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we continue to listen to Dandelion Cottage. I'd love to hear from you, so please send an email to me at kluker at marshallpl.org. I'll talk to you again soon.